we get captured by insurgents, am I gonna cry or am I gonna like, you know, just let him kill me or am I gonna have the mindset to try and fight back? Before we listen to Siraj Kasim's interview with Shadley Lombard, let's first hear from Zahra Surti, a registered counsellor. If you find that either you or a loved one is struggling with trauma, then please reach out to a mental health professional for support. For your daily dose of inspiration and mental health tips, you can follow me on Instagram at mindful.counseling. We're all familiar with the movie format where friends meet each other for the first time, their lives uh, 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 um, makes them lose contact, come back, lose contact, come back. Normally, it's a format used in romantic comedies that normally works. Um, That format best describes my relationship with my next guest. We have always met each other at different parts of our lives. And I'm so happy to have him uh, today on my show. Hi, Shadley. How are you doing? Good morning, Siraj. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's true what you say. I mean, from school days to uh, both of us working in the media, our paths have crossed and probably will continue to cross for the rest of our lives. You're currently talking to me from Italy, being in, you're living now in Italy, although we met uh, in 1996 in Athlone in Cape Town. So what are you doing currently? No, we, we met before 96, bro. We met in 1986 at Alexander Sinton oh, High School. Sorry, sorry. I got my dates wrong. So what are you doing? I'm now in Sicily at the moment um, with my family. I've, I'm living here at the moment, uh, kind of in between countries, but this is where I am at the moment. Our journey started when we met at high school, Alexander Sinton. Yeah. Right. And uh, we were obviously very involved in the SRC, uh, especially with your brother being the uh, Siobhan, uh, um, being SRC chairman at one stage. And then we Correct. were, and me and you were part of the action committee, um, in the school for, for police Correct. and stuff like that. Correct. Correct. Uh, I, I remember the one memory that really stands out is us preparing like a triage area, um, emptying dirt bins for tear gas canisters, help, uh, sitting up in the home economics room, the, 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 the tables and those buckets with Vaseline. Exactly, and, and, exactly, exactly, you know? exactly. And then also preparing the, the, the um, bricks for the, the aftermath. Bricks, bricks, tires, uh, petrol. petrol. Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, those are good memories. It's true what you say. I mean, uh, Although we were part of that SRC and we had lots and lots of meetings there as well. But the meetings used to go on too long. And I think uh, both of us were more towards the action committee side of things. Uh, yeah, we left you the know, uh, to go and do the, all the political speak there while we... Exactly, exactly, exactly. All the talking and we just wanted to confront the police, which we obviously did on a few times. Um, I'm very proud of that history of ours at Sinton. I think it's one of the unique stories of, of the struggle from the Cape colored school perspective, if I can say that just going back, I think we, we were very unique in that way. I mean, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, those are good memories. 
But within that, uh, I mean, your family, your father is a well-known um, photographer. So I'm assuming that that is also during that period, um, your, your interest in media and camera obviously started during that period. So how did it start for you? Well, you know, for me, it started, uh, my father, yes, was a news photographer along with uh, Jimmy Matthews, Alvin Andrews, uh, Anton Swat, Aziz Tassim, John Rubathon, all Cape Town kind of press center based. Um, and and uh, as you remember, I mean, they, you can't burn tires at the school without inviting the police. So uh, I think you remember there were times that we used to use the call box and uh, set up a barricade and then get the girls to call the police so that they could come and we could confront them. And uh, that's the time also that we used to call the media or send out press alerts that there was action happening at our school because, I mean, the struggle was all, was one basically on media coverage, you know, otherwise nobody would have knew we were confronting the police, you know. So a lot of it started uh, with, with that, just call, calling the police, calling the press, being in touch with them so that our confrontation or our little thing at school that we were having was was covered. So that's basically yeah, how it started for me. But um, yeah, I was I didn't take it seriously until a friend of mine who was working with Jimmy, Aziz Tassim, his brother Shafiq Tassim is a, a world-renowned cameraman now. So when he passed away in a, in a car accident on covering the Oceanos tragedy, and after that, I really took media and photography seriously. So he, Aziz Tassim, really inspired me, including the late John Rubathon, who was running the Cape Town Press Center. So I would, I would say I'd, I'd seen things from my father, but it was other people that inspired me probably most. Okay. And that changed my, my direction. And, and your focus has always been uh, uh, um, news coverage, news uh, camera, uh, covering news, big news events, obviously, in that time, there was a lot of uh, conflict. Uh, actually, I can't remember our history not having some form of conflict in South Africa. Mm. Um, but then what was your first big break uh, um, in the sense of a professional uh, camera operator career? Like where, where was the, who gave you and what company? Okay. Um, I started basically as a runner at the Cape Town Press Center. So I used to run tapes, uh, charge batteries, go to the shop, blah, 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 during while I was still at school. And then when I finished school, uh, I was helped a lot by Jimmy Matthews, who was the time uh, Reuters uh, and uh, Viz News Reuters. So he gave me a, a big break as well um, towards the elections in 94. And then Alvin Andrews and Sam Fenter, when APTV started, which is APTN now, started, they gave me a job, full-time job as a sound man. Okay, it was 94. So that's really where it started. And Alvin Andrews, after one year, he trained me. And from 95, I was a cameraman. From 96, I was moved to, to the Durban office. At I think I was about, I don't know, 20, in early 20s. So there was a lot of those, those people I mentioned are the people that really gave me my breaks. But I also remember seeing you a lot at the, the Claremont Gardens um, filming uh, uh, weddings. And, and the, yeah, reason yeah. Why, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I do a lot of training in South Africa, Zambia, everywhere. And I never, like when people talk to me and they say, oh, but I only do wedding videos. And I go, oh, do not slate that experience. 
I, I know people <laughs> like you and your brother that have both from that and 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 both amazing careers. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, this um, I did the wedding thing with uh, Shafiq Tasim. Uh, that was his gig. He was running a thing called Video T. So I was basically his assistant. But you know, with weddings, it's it's important days. Your gear's got to be together. You got to be on time. So that was kind of like the stepping stone for news because news is all about your gear working properly, being on time, not missing a moment. And 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 that was a, a good start for for us basically. But yeah, Shafiq was the one uh, we used to do. Lots of weddings. Uh, very, yeah, funny when I think about it now, but definitely a stepping stone because um, it definitely something serious and you take it serious. And then you, and when I moved to news, I kind of already understood what deadlines was about, what our equip, important equipment was, how important communication was. So, yeah, from a young age, I kind of understood that that was the fundamentals of media, basically through the weddings. Like you said, when you, when you were in, um, got your permanent position with uh, AP, you already started, like, and then they moved you to Durban already. Yes. That was probably the start of your journey of traveling to stories as such, or being based Correct. in different uh, local Correct. countries. Um, Correct. So, so from Durban, where did you go next from a location from, point of view to cover events or stories? Okay. In Durban, I was there. I covered a lot of the ANC IFP violence. So I did a lot of that kind of thing in 96, in uh, working with uh, Rajesh Jantilal, photographer based out in Durban. Shoa Silver, Greg Marinovich, I used to come around most weekends to cover the violence. So I started there. From there, I moved to Johannesburg, spent some time there, uh, Work there was very cozy, and uh, you know, when you get too cozy, then you're just going to settle down basically. So, I resigned from AP, I moved to London uh, as a freelancer, did some work for, for them in London uh, under my two year work visa. And uh, then I, I, yeah, then my I came back to South Africa in 2000, uh, was back in Cape Town. Then I did some reality TV shows. I did a Survivor. I did Amazing Race. Wait, wait, wait. I, 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 I want to get South African, South African Apprentice. No, uh, wait, 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 wait. You must tell them. You must tell the people the story of uh, Amazing Race uh, when they did that Jan van Riebeek thingy, and then you told them it's a nine. Just tell them. Just tell the people that story. It's a mall story. Okay. Yeah. At the end of the race in Cape Town, they had like a Dutch type Jan van Riebeek type guy there, right? So he was like, well, welcome in Kapstadt, something like that. So I was like, no, man, this guy should be saying, welcome to Cape Town, how's the tour end, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but so, but so, yeah. So, so the fact that you just mentioned now um, that you've done uh, um, the reality uh, uh, TV camera work, and I know um, that you, you were working with uh, part of uh, um, the team with Mike Halson, which is... Yeah, correct is South Africa's most renowned... Um, world, uh, world-renowned, multi-Emmy award-winning winning, uh, cameraman. EOP, yeah. And uh, I think it was the first four seasons of Amazing Race. He was the DOP that built exactly. the look in the, the style. So the question I exactly. have with regards to that is because you, you come in from your, your TV background and because and, what I always, again, when my training and when I talk to people about 
the way you cover reality is that uh, and and news you never have a journalist or a director telling you catch that catch that all yeah. the time yeah. so when yeah. you when you're filming you have to film you're covering the story, you're watching what's unfolding, you know what the story is, and therefore you you would then maneuver yourself to make sure you cover everything. Um, is, do you find that that your news covering had a big impact on how you covered reality, Kiwi? Um, I would say yes, and um, yes, it did, actually. You know, the thing about uh, news and reality is you have to be switched on, you know, when you're looking through your viewfinder, besides checking your audio level and your record button that it's on, that you're actually recording and your picture's sharp, you also got to be watching what they're saying, you know, when to cut, when not to cut, listen, see for the emotions. So it was, I mean, it was good. I did it. It was an experience, but I left it because uh, basically you, with reality TV, you're always working with a big production crew. Right, and for me, that just beca- that just became a little bit too much, coming from like maybe working with a producer, or you know. Mm-hmm. So that kind of what what put me off it was the uh, I think that was basically it. What put me off it, and then I left that and went back to news, uh, as one <laughs> as one does, I think. <laughs> Trauma can affect one's personality and psyche. Zahra Surti, a registered counsellor, explains further. Trauma is a serious mental health concern and is impacted upon by biological and social factors, including your childhood, the environment you were raised in, and other external factors. These can all have long-lasting effects on both our personalities and psyches. However, there is treatment for it, and it is always useful to contextualise our trauma. This may help in giving it a space to be shared, as well as deepening our understanding of the reasons behind our current ways of thinking and behavior. For your daily dose of inspiration and mental health tips, you can follow me on Instagram at mindful.counseling. As a news uh, camera operator, you've been placed into hectic scenarios, covering hectic scenarios. And we're going to show uh, the people watching two such examples. Um, but uh, like, what was the, the 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 attraction? You know, like it, it was in camera. You can go and become a, a, a film camera. Work mainly on on shooting for movies. You know, oh, you yeah, go up exactly. the ladder there. You can even today be studio cameras and just focus on that type of environment, sports and stuff. So you, you yeah. obviously conscious, especially coming back from reality yeah. TV, you obviously yeah. sat down at some stage and said, look, this is where I'm going to focus and this is why. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that yeah. reason? Um, basically, you know, the thing with, with news is that um, news was, I grew up basically with a lot of trauma. So did you, you know, our high schooling apartheid. So lots of trauma when we were young, lots of anxiety, you know, when we confronted the police, Lot, lots of kind of feelings of nervousness, excitement, adrenaline, like when we were students and we were in the struggle. So it was kind of easy for me to go into news because I already had been in a lot of uh, experiences of trauma and of anxiety and of, you know, like 
stress. So it was kind of natural, I think, um, because of what how we grew up, uh, you know, during the struggle that I go into. Um, I mean, I went to Iraq, I went to Afghanistan, I went to Liberia, I've been to a few, the, the Congo DRC war in 98. So I've been to a few places and it was, like I said, it was kind of natural because that's just what we grew up with, you know? Mm-hmm. So in that way, it was easier. So you mentioned, it was just easy. You, you've mentioned now Iraq, which is a perfect uh, uh, point for me to do this. So that was footage from a documentary called Fahrenheit 9-11. And so just give people a sense of what we just saw now and what footage was yours. Okay, the footage um, that was mine was the the screaming soldiers on the stretches after they got, uh, the Humvee got hit, the vehicle got hit by a a, um, IED, improvised explosive device on the side of the road. So I spent 76 days in uh, Tikrit, which is Saddam Hussein's hometown. I went there for the AP and uh, one of the longest embeds and the mission was looking for Saddam Hussein, basically. And they caught him 10 days after I left in Tikrit. But uh, yeah, Iraq, it was, um, that was just one of the few moments there where we actually, something dramatic had happened. And, but the rest of the time for all 76 days, like with all wars, you know, sometimes the, the skirmishes or the battles are very short-lived or sometimes non-existent. But you live with a constant fear that either today is the day, it's going to be incoming, your vehicle's going to get hit. So every day you have that kind of, it's that, it's that fear, you know, not fear with just that anxiety. And that's what a lot of what war is about, like just dealing with it, uh, trying to stay sane. Uh, yeah, try not to lose your mind again. Yeah, just then to how, focus. On then how people. would you do that in that environment? Well, uh, in that environment where you just have to, you can't complain basically, you know, you have to become a soldier yourself. You know, 76 days, you know, you're not going home now. This is it, bite the bullet, you have to do your job, very focused. If they, if they, can, if they catch the dumps, if we raid a house now and the dumps in the cupboard, and I open the cupboard, I'm going to be behind the guy with my camera. So a lot of it was like when we go out on house raids at night and I was very pushy and American soldiers would always tell me, get back, get back. But I knew that if, if, if he's hiding in that cupboard and I open that cupboard, I have to get that shot, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I bet you have to basically or become a soldier yourself, you know, when you're embedded in that. You have to know that it's war. You have to be prepared to to die, kill or be killed is the name of the game, basically. So uh, between me and you, I'm going home. That's what American soldiers used to say. So besides looking after yourself, um, you also have to have the mindset that if we get captured by insurgents, am I gonna cry or am I gonna like, you know, just let them kill me or am I gonna have the mindset to try and fight back, you know? So, I mean, I used to, I didn't have a gun, but I used to always, I carried a bayonet uh, in my in my flag jacket, and that kind of was like my my last, you know, go for the jugular if somebody tries to capture me or something, you know. So a lot of that kind of mindset of of survival and wanting to get home. How much of what happened growing up in Athlone and growing up in apartheid 
like you no, said, that, 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 that definitely that definitely helps you because you know it's like <laughs> excuse me it's it's fear you know that you got to conquer or the nervousness you know we grew up, we we grew up a lot with that confronting the police and that's why I say I went from uh, Athlone hostile environment to Iraq hostile environment to Congo hostile environment you know what I'm saying so it was an easy progression for me because I always had that feeling or I, I knew that feeling of nervousness anxiety shit today we could get shot we could get arrested so it was a very it was just a walk over for me to go into these places uh, without feeling like you know, oh, I need training. And I mean, I've seen a lot of journalists arrive, like the one woman arrived in Iraq the next morning, they had to evacuate her because she just had a total breakdown, you know? So even if you do the training, either it's for you or it's not for you. And a lot of people find out kind of on the job and it's very difficult. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, oh. and, and like I said, with this job, it's all about no excuses. You just got to deliver, you know. People don't want to hear your excuses. I just want to hear, where's, the, the, where's the pictures? Got the footage and that's it. So now let so. me play another video. That was Marikana, basically, yeah. Yeah, that was Marikana, the, the massacre in... Uh, yeah. The new South Africa, the worst massacre to date, um, where our new South African police force adopted the, the did something what we are kind of more used to during apartheid than than South Africa. And um, again, uh, so just just talk to us that experience. Just give us a sense of what was going on for you as you were covering that. Okay, um, basically the whole Marikana story started. We heard there was a mine strike, right? And I remember uh, Sunday, it was a Sunday night and I watched the news as one does just to be in the loop. And I'd seen that the police, two policemen had gotten murdered on, at the mines, basically. And then I just switched my mind on. I knew my phone's going to ring. I knew the correspondent's going to say, we're going to Marikana tomorrow. So I was already like, oh shit, this thing is now a story, you know, with those police. So the next day we uh, we went out there. Uh, we got there. I could I could see that it was a different situation, basically, because of my experience in KwaZulu Natal. I dealt a lot with what they call the Zulu MP there, you know. So they use uh, Intelezi, which some people here which call Muti, basically, right? So there's a lot of things that I learned in, in KwaZulu-Natal in the 90s about that. Like, you don't just approach the guys that's got it. You don't wear a cap. So I was very switched on to that whole situation because of that experience. So we held back, we held back, we stayed there, we stayed there. And then, I mean, nobody knew it was just going to happen like that. You know, it just happened. I was there. I didn't want to be in that place. Dinkim uh, Kize from Reuters got the best footage. I was basically pushed by the police to go another way. And um, yeah, that, that happened. I got the shot of the minor shooting at the police. I mean, which that thing just about missed, my, missed me because if you slow down the footage, you can actually see the, the, the camera goes into glitch because it's electronic. When the bullet passes the camera, it was so close. So yeah, I mean, it was, it, it happened so fast. It was over, I got what I could get, but uh, a, a tragedy. 
a tragedy indeed, but uh, it was one of those situations where there was lots of local media there and they didn't get good stuff. I mean, me and Tinky, and I think it was Farai from Eyewitness News, we probably got the best footage out of it. And in the end, that's what it comes to. I mean, it's it's about when that shooting's happening, trying to be as still as possible. You saw the raw footage, so a lot of the stuff is shaky there, but on the cut piece, it goes kind of in, in sequence like that. So it's about, you know, you can talk as much as you want to when the cameras are off and all the journalists are hanging around and, you know, and everybody's talking nonsense. But when the time comes, that's where you, you, you see you can, you can stand still when the bullets are flying or whether you're going to try and run for cover. And then, so that's, I could say that was kind of like the, the peak of, of my career or my insanity, basically, because it's not normal to, to no. want to stand still. It's not normal to want to stand still when bullets are flying. Although in this job, it's required, Sorry. you know. A reminder of the importance of mental health and self-care from registered counsellor Zahra Surti. It is always important to consider how our work-life balance affects our mental health. Self-care is the process of attending to both our emotional, physical and spiritual needs on a day-to-day -day basis. If you find that you feel burnt out, run down or are struggling to cope with your day-to-day -day activities, do remember that seeking professional mental health care is always an option for you. For your daily dose of inspiration and mental health tips, you can follow me on Instagram at mindful.counseling. I remember how many times we all chilling together and you guys sharing the horror stories. And, you know, as, a, as some like me, I, I didn't... Um, experience what you guys experience so it's so it's for me it's like fascinating to hear these things and i look at you go thinking flip you're crazy to be there in the first place and and how you know i don't think i've ever sat down and said but how do you deal with this and and the, the you're currently going through um the process of dealing with it and Correct. so so just just give us a Correct. sense of what is what how did you deal with it then going through those scenarios or didn't deal with it whichever term is more appropriate and the impact that is had that it has had on your life now now and how okay. you're dealing with that okay i mean that's the one thing when you when you get into this business it's a very i wouldn't say macho but you have to kind of be tough, you know, you can't be weak. But nobody, nobody really tells you about, even the, the, the people you're working for, nobody really talks about debriefing or going to speak to somebody or letting something go, you know. Because, you know, the thing about the news is it doesn't stop, especially when it became 24-hour, you know. Mm. Nobody's got time for your problems unless it's a big problem, you know, you you like, you can't, you got arrested or you broke your leg or you absolutely can't go work, you know. So nobody tells you that. And I, I mean, when I was young, when I was younger and I did it and I did it and I did it, it was like, it was, it was all good because I, I, I thought, okay, this is what I need to do. But nobody warns you about that when you get older or like in my case where um, I was blessed to have two children now in my early 40s and... Um, 
then it, then it, when you get older, you kind of, it kind of catches up with you, you know, mm. because you get, you, you become more mature and you, you like, you feel you, you, I captured a lot of people's pain and misery and funerals and people dead and grieving families, you know, and kind of when you, at that time, you don't feel anything for it, you know, because just about, I got the shots, the shots look good. That's good. Let's go. But when you get older and you start to lose family members or friends, or even like me with a dog, when I lost my dog died and basically I wept, you know, and uh, it like opened up my, my emotions for me, you know, now I can deal with death or, or death or suffering in my own family much easier because I always relate to other people, you know, mm. like that are covered, you know, so it's not like, oh, um, your mother's sick or your, what you call it, you know, like, like you special, I, it almost became for me like, now I feel what those people were feeling when I was at their house trying to get an interview while they were trying to mourn, you know what I mean? So a lot of it now, it's like, now that I'm older, I kind of understand that, I understand, I feel those people's pain, but it also makes my own situation much easier to deal with my own pain, my own pain with my family or losing family members. And so it's become easier like that. But when you're doing it, when you're young, you, you don't really care because the, the most important thing in the news business is the delivery of the story. But now dealing shop, shop, with- Shop pictures, audio, interview, interviews and no excuses. But yeah. so you're saying you're dealing with it. So uh, uh, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with it now. Yes. But how are you going for assistance? Are you, are you in uh, therapy? You know, cause that's also like, another male yeah, yeah. Like ego thing of, no, I'm not going to need, I don't think I need that. Yeah. No, no, no. That's I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I see a psychiatrist uh, therapy. I take antidepressants because before, uh, before when you were younger, how you deal with it is that you self-medicate, you know, mm-hmm. what they call self-medicate, various people self-medicate in different ways. I'm not going to go into that now, but now, <laughs> now I take antidepressants and it makes me feel good. I haven't worked for a year. I've been diagnosed with chronic post-traumatic stress disorder because um, when I got married, maybe six years ago, there, before that, I was quite a single guy, you know, just dedicated to the work. And when you, when I got married, and I, and and then I, I realized that the way all my thinking wasn't normal. My wife kept telling me, you know, and even like when I was living in Joburg before I moved here, I was always like we call it opopos, you know, at home, my weapons at home, waiting to see the intruder in the garden having the mindset, am I going to let this dude come come into my house or am I going to try and fight this mm-hmm. dude, you know, fight or flight. So I always had that thing like, like, and it used to drive my wife crazy because she was like, you crazy, you paranoid. Like one time we went to Bramfontein to, uh, to some bar slash club there, some DJ was playing. So we went there and this place was packed. And I was like, I said to her, listen, if anything happens, just don't run. Stand against the wall, keep your back against the wall, don't get caught in the crowd, you know? So I was always thinking, hey, shit, how am I going to get out of this? Am I going to have to fight here? Am I going to have to try and run? Even in my own house in Joburg, electric fence, uh, high walls, I always used to sit at night thinking, golf stick at next to the bed, golf stick by the door, because I like the long reach of it, 
you know. Mm. And I was like, listen, every day thinking, if today is the day, I'm not going to let this dude take me. I'm going to, you know. And it's no, it's, no, it's no fun way to live compared to how I'm living here now. The worst thing that can happen to you is they steal your bicycle if you don't lock it properly. <laughs> also, I'm, That's I'm, the worst form of crime here, bro. And I'm sure that having seen your kids is also had such a big part of the healing and, and wanting to heal. And can you share that, you know, that just that magic? Yeah, of, yeah. Ba basically, it's... Siraj, basically, it, it changed my life, you know, it changed my life because, I mean, I was working when I had my kids, I was working for Al Jazeera, I was traveling Africa, I was doing well, and when, my, when I had my kids, it all, it all just changed, you know, like, it just changed immediately for me, I knew there's more to life, I knew that what I was doing was high risk, I started taking less chances, asking more questions about where we're going, what's happening, um, and basically, yeah, they, they changed my life. That's why now I'm the stay-at-home dad, something which I really, my wife's busy working at the moment. So I, I do the stay-at-home thing, which is great for me. I mean, it's been a year I haven't worked, but now I have this new job. And uh, yeah, they, that, that basically, I could say, save my life, you could say, because I could actually be dead if I was still doing it. And it changed my life for the better. What, exactly. would, what would be that one major advice you you, like you got, what all that this you, you must do? What would you tell those people? What I would say is uh, what you must do is debrief. Therapy is very important. The most important thing because you have to debrief and not to your friends when you're sitting or you just finished golf and now you want to tell them a whole story. No, that's not good. You need to get therapy and Basically, if it doesn't feel right, you, you need to stop doing it because it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't get better. It only gets worse and it definitely will catch up with you later in your life. Shukran, my bro. <laughs> you know, I really appreciate it. You know, and, and I also so much appreciate, you know, knowing your stories, knowing how things have affected you and the fact that you are prepared to talk about it because this is what people like yourselves with that experience... The, the, the value is you willing to share the, 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 the darker side of things, you know, the, the real effect of what happens to your lives and your, your, the lives of your, your loved ones within your space. And I'm so happy and, and appreciate that you're willing to share that with me and, and obviously everybody that watched this thing. So shukran so much. I really appreciate it. No worries. No worries, my brother. I, I'll share it anytime anybody needs any information. I'm basically on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook, but people can message me on LinkedIn yeah. if they want to share Lee Lombard. But yeah, I mean, I would give any advice. I mean, it's just take care of yourself and don't be... Don't be scared or don't be shy to go for therapy. Therapy is the most important thing, I would say, for one's survival. You know, definitely. I would say that's a lifesaver. In yeah. fact, the whole of South Africa needs Need therapy. therapy. No, after I, I, apartheid, the whole of Alexander Sinton, even UC Raj, all that shit that you're watching in the edit suite, that's all embedded there. And, and you should also give it a go just to, you know, once or twice. You, you walk out the day, you see how lighter you feel. It's like you release two backpacks off your back. You're ready to go again. And, and I'm telling you, it's, we think it's okay because now we're playing nine notes and we're talking about it to our friends. You know, you need to talk to an independent person. 
and it will really help. So that's the main thing I say. If that's what you want to do, odd news, and you want to go for that, go for it, but make sure you take care of you. Because cool. that shit always catches up Sounds with you. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Shukran. Salama, bro. You're most welcome. Salama, brother. Thank you.